Good morning again, everybody. Um, as I said, we're doing things a little bit different. We're going to have some time in just a few minutes that you can walk around the room, and the ministry heads are going to be at the tables of the blue tablecloths, and you can learn about the ministries of the church, some which you can't see uh, from week to week, but which are nonetheless uh, happening. So it's a chance to sign up. It's a chance to see uh, where God is speaking to you, and we've been praying that God would guide you as to where he, your fit is to serve in the body. I wanted to share uh, some words in the way of just casting a vision for the, for the new year. Uh, before we go around to the tables, I wanted to share uh, a bit about the study that God has led uh, myself and the elder, and Elder Bert, my other elder, the elders, if you count me, um, toward leading the church in, in our small groups and in our uh, services. Really, this, this scripture, which has been kind of woven throughout the service, of the vine and the branches is really the vision that I have in my heart uh, for you and for me. And that's that we would learn in this coming year how better, how better to abide in Jesus. Now, what does that look like practically speaking? Is it a spiritual reality that's kind of, we have no control over and it's unattainable in a way uh, to, to, to abide in Jesus? How do we do it? And the study we're going to be doing is teaching us how, just how to do that, practically speaking, which is, I think, a great thing. Now, I've been a part of this church body for, for quite a while. I've been serving as pastor since 2012 and senior pastor since 2015. But I was a member of the church years before that, which is kind of an odd story. But I actually came to Christ in this church, and now I'm, I'm pastoring the church. So it's an amazing kind of... I've, I've met one other pastor that had a similar experience, but it's not very typical. Um... I became a Christian in this church in 2001, in June, right on Perry Road, as we were worshiping God at that building before we built our building. So um, I've been singing praises with this body for many years. Every consistently encountering the presence of Jesus in this church, hearing his voice, and just knowing his love for me, you know, Week after week, that's changed me. That's really transformed me week after week that I've been worshiping here at New Life with you. I was, I was invited to a, a men's worship night and meet my friend Mike with me on, the other day. And, you know, I had, no, I had no part in the service. I wasn't a speaker. I wasn't a pastor. I'm just a, just a guy there. And uh, I closed my eyes and worshiped Jesus. And the songs that they chose were songs that we've sung here at the church over the years. There must be more than this. O breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us anew, we pray. Fill us anew, we pray. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. We sang that song. And I could hear you know, Mike singing next to me. I could, I could pick out some of the other guys' voices who I knew in the room. And I just knew the, the hearts of these men and their love for Jesus. Um, I, could, I could feel... That, that wind that I, that I feel when I've worshipped here with you, especially in those early days when I first came to Christ. It's just the love of God, the presence of Jesus. Ever since I've, I've touched you know, or been touched by God's presence, it's, it's become something where you just want to be in it more. You want to figure out ways to get there. And that's what this year is all about. How do we abide in Christ? You know, when, when I... When we, when we sing together in one voice here, you know, when I sing to God with all of you, you know, God manifests his presence here among us. And we all experience the transforming presence of Christ. And as we look into God's word together week after week, 
You know, typically we'll, we'll go through a passage of scripture, meditate on it, hear what God says through it. You know, we hear his voice gently leading us each week, you know, guiding us, convicting us, and drawing us towards this deeper life of God, uh, which is the desire that we have in our hearts. You know, when we pray for someone, when we receive prayer from someone, you know, G- it's Jesus who touches us and changes things. It's, it's hard to even put it into words, but through this enterprise, the church, Jesus' body comes together, and we experience Jesus through it in his presence. But it's all Jesus. That's what the church is. Jesus touches us. Jesus changes things. You know, Christ in us and among us. In John 15, it says, remain in me and I will remain in you. you know, that's quite, quite a statement to think the presence of Almighty God. Um, he, he encourages us to abide in him. And then he says, and I will also abide in you and with you. What an amazing thing. That God tore the, the curtain in the Holy of Holies when Jesus died on the cross and gave everybody who seeks after God access to God. What an amazing thing. It's, but it's all, it's all Jesus. I've, also, I've also always appreciated um, the consistency of just experiencing Jesus Christ through the people in the church here. Um, in every phase of God's work here over the years, I've always appreciated the people of this church because there's always been people that actually care about me in the church. And you know, that's really a special thing to be cared for, to have someone care about your soul, to care how you are doing. And uh, some of my friends in this church who I've known for a long time, you know, they, they care for me. They ask me hard questions sometimes. They, I can feel the love of Jesus through them touching me and, uh, and changing me. I've noticed that in every generation, every time period in this church body, it's not been unusual for men and women here to look at each other, to listen to each other, to pray for one another, you know, in short, just to love one another. Love God, love others. I think that's something that there's always been people here that do that, uh, people that care. And through that, we feel the love and care and compassion of Jesus through one another. It's an amazing thing that Jesus invites us to, to abide in him, and then he abides in us. And as we, as we serve each other with compassion, love, and kindness, care, even sharing hard words at times, um, that Jesus himself is doing the, doing the work. It's Jesus. It's his body. I'm so thankful for this church community, for, for, for you all who I count as my friends and family. I believe that when you have compassion on me and on one another, that we experience the compassion and tender heart of Jesus for each of us as well. You know, in fact, you know, we, we strive to be a church fellowship that's, that's like a family. You know, a, a, aunts and uncles, grandpas and grandmas, cousins, sisters and brothers. You know, Paul exhorts us, think of the young women as your sisters and the young men as your brothers. Think of the older men as your fathers, the older women as your mothers. Think about this as a family, because that's what it is. And that's a different um, vision than sometimes the church has run with. Sometimes churches look more like a corporation in our world, but it's an organic family, the body of Christ, where we develop these um, relationships, where we find a spiritual home, where we build relationships with other believers in many different ways, and we develop and use the gifts God's given us and serve the Lord together. You know, where, where we love to be, love to give, and love to serve Jesus as each person finds their part in the body of Christ and as each part does their work. And, the, and the, the, the truth from 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ, 
Uh, and this was, remi- I was reminded of this the other day. You know, the truth is that uh, the, the, body, the parts of the body are all here. And just because you're in denial of being a part of the body, you're still that part of the body. You, uh, you can't, it says in that passage, you know, and I cannot say, well, because I'm not a finger, I'm not part of the body. It doesn't, for that reason, stop being an eye. You know, a, a, a foot cannot say to the hand, I'm not the hand, so I'm not part of the body. You know, that's still, that's still the, the foot, right? You, you need all these things uh, for the body of Christ to move. And all of us have been given gifts and have been equipped to be a part of the body of Christ. Things that we see outwardly, and then things that there are just realities happening in the background in the church, all are essential. And there's some ministries in this church that no one may never know about, except for the people that are ministered to. Um, there's, there's, there's things going on and prayers being prayed. And all of this, um, all of this is, 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 is meant to be like a loving family. And, uh, you know, for, for some people that come to this church, and for all of us who have not, none of our families were perfect growing up. Some people had very, you know, not much of a family at all growing up or, or lots of unhealth in their families. And for those of us who have never experienced a loving family, you know, when we become a, we become a party, part of God's body of the church, you know, it's amazing, you know, we finally get to be around people that, that love us and care for our souls. And, uh, you know, we get to experience the nurture and the care that we're missing in our hearts through Jesus ministering through us to each of us. Uh, we experience Jesus through the scriptures, through musical worship and praise, and through the tight-knit community of small groups, uh, potluck, fellowship, whatever you might want to be. And all of this brings, brings us back to Jesus. The reason we have this body is because of Jesus, because what we, what we celebrated today, and remember, the sacrifice on the cross, it paid the price of the debt we could not pay, a ridiculous debt, and then God says, but you're not in debt to me. The only debt you have is to love one another. As I loved you, love one another. That's all you got to do. Don't worry about paying me back. Just love one another. Act like people that are forgiven. Treat other people as those who are forgiven and loved by Jesus. Now, all of this comes back to Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross, paying for us, and giving each, each believer, it says, he gives them his Holy Spirit as a down payment guaranteeing their inheritance, that the very spirit and essence of Jesus is in each believer in Jesus. It's amazing to think this, but every, every Christian has the spirit of Christ, and so through every Christian, the, the ministry of Christ continues, which is why when we receive prayer from somebody, or receive the table, or receive, uh, or, or hear a word of scripture, you know, we are receiving from Jesus. We're receiving from, from him, from his Holy Spirit working among us. It's no wonder that, you know, over the years I've experienced, you know, Jesus among you, the church. Because it's Jesus who began the good work. Jesus who continues the good work. And it will be Jesus who perfectly finishes the work that he started. As it says in 1 John 4, 19, you know, we love because Jesus first loved us. We love. He started it. It came before everything. His love for us. His kindness to us. That led us towards repentance. We love because of that first love that Jesus showed us. In Philippians 2, 1, it says, Therefore, if you have, have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, to the interests of others. 
whatever we've experienced, wherever we've experienced the presence of Christ in the church, where we've received encouragement, where we've received comfort from his love, his tenderness and compassion, and we've really received that from Jesus himself. Now, Jesus cared and cares about the souls of his disciples. Just as the church family should care for one another's souls, so we do that because Jesus cared for our souls first. We love because he loved us first. And Jesus cared about his disciples when they walked on the earth. And he cared about all the people he encountered. He, cared, he had compassion on them. You know, his heart was constantly going out in compassion, it says, because he looked around him and he saw lots of people that were wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And he just cared. He reached out. And that is still what he's doing. He's come to seek and save what was lost. That's what he's still doing among us. But now, he mostly manifests this ministry through the church, his body, which is an amazing thing. He puts a spirit in us, he forgives us, he fills us, and says, now you go, seek and save the lost. Find the lost ones. Find those that need to be shepherded and shepherd them. Find those that need to be equipped and equip them. You do it. He's doing it now. You know, if you think about Jesus during his life, his, his heart continually went out to his disciples. At one point, he, he had uh, 72 disciples in Luke 10. You've heard of the 12. This is the 72. Um, and they, they went out, and they, just, they, they took his words to heart. You know, he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Go for it. And they went out like someone with a brand new sports car and just started driving fast. They started praying for people, healing the sick. They started casting demons at people, and they were, they were astounded that they could do this. They'd seen Jesus do this stuff. They're like, I can't believe that we can do this too. This is amazing. And uh, they come to Jesus, and he, he says to them, great job. I saw Satan fall like lightning, which is pretty cool. And then he says, but don't rejoice that the demons respond, respond to you and the authority you have in me. Just rejoice that your names are written in my book. Let it, all be, let it always come back to this this reality that he first loved us, his love came before everything, and we can rejoice in being his children, and we can rejoice in continuing the ministry he started. So he had this great compassion, this great encouragement for his disciples. He was also with them in their, in their failure, you know? In Matthew 17, a man comes to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. In verse 16, he says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. I don't know if the disciples were over here like, oh, man. Um, but it was okay. You know, Jesus e easily rebuked this demon, let the boy get free. And then later, he cared enough about his disciples to explain to them what had happened. He said, you know, because, because you have so little faith. You know, right now you're growing in your faith. But truly, I tell you, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there. It will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then he said this very strange sentence. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You know, this is intimacy with God uh, that Jesus had. Not just by nature of being God's son, but by the time he spent in God's presence on a regular basis, week after week, day after day, he grew in authority and and through prayer and fasting, he saw after God, and he was able to do this thing the disciples weren't able to. You know, it's, it's, he cared about them when they succeeded, he cared about them when they failed, and he helped them to understand what it took to continue his ministry. But I'm thankful that um, in this fellowship at New Life, I've never felt like 
I lacked people who truly loved me, who cared about my soul, and and um, and all of us are, are blessed to have this body of Christians around us. You know, for the for the for the last two thousand plus years since the time of Jesus, you know, we've been known as Christians. We started getting called Christians by an outside group. You can read about that in the Bible. Um, but they call us Christians, which is from the Greek word, which means little Christs. That's really interesting, right? That's the reputation of the early church, little Christs. You know, these are people who are not Jesus, but they have Jesus' power and authority. You know, there's this built-in expectation, believe it or not, that each of us would follow Jesus' ways, follow his teachings and his patterns, and become one with him through abiding in him and letting him abide in us. You know, with great love and compassion, you know, Jesus demonstrated a powerful ministry that was rooted in his powerful relationship with the Father, which he tended to very diligently. I, I was just looking in the Gospel of Mark, and I found like 10 examples where Jesus, Jesus was going to a solitary place to be with the Father. You know, people are looking for Jesus. He's off in a solitary place. He's up on a mountaintop. He's out in a boat. He's spending time with the Father. And he spent so much time with God that he even said, I, he said this phrase, I, I do only what I see the Father doing. He was, he was unified with God. And he, uh, his power was birthed from the intimacy he had with God. You know? it, was, it was cultivated. It wasn't necessarily automatic. And I think that Jesus was providing an example for us, saying, you can cultivate this. You can culti- cultivate your relationship with me. You can grow in my love. You can grow in my authority. And you can continue my work. And I'm with you whether you fail or succeed. Your identity is as one whose name is written in my book. But you are also blessed with the spirit of my, of my spirit to continue my work and my ministry in the church. So whatever people you know, have accomplished for God over the years at New Life, over the years since he was here, whether that be casting out demons or caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, healing people, loving people, all of that's born out of this intimacy with God that Jesus demonstrated throughout his life. So this fall we're going through, um, we're going to be experiencing Jesus together through a common study of a book called God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. Now Ken is a man who is passionate about, about Jesus and who desires that every person that reads this book would be pointed back to Jesus in a transformative way. This is a book that was written about 10 years ago. Uh, and we were able to be ministered to by Ken at a conference. And then that's where I found this book. And God started speaking to me. I shared it with our leadership. And they, they also were feeling God was calling us to this. But if we are to continue in this vision to be a healthy church body, a family where Jesus' love and his compassion and tenderness continue to flow through each person as they love one another and walk together in community, we must continue to follow through walking in the way of Jesus and abiding in him. So the goal is that we would learn to abide in Christ. Um, Just as it says in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The goal is that we would develop spiritual practices in our lives, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that open the door for us to receive God in our everything. That's what the name of the book is. Drawing near to Jesus each day in every way imaginable. Now, somewhere in Christian history, something unbiblical happened where, you know, counter to God's desire for us, we have taken, we have categorized our lives into two categories. There's God's stuff and then there's not God's stuff. Sacred stuff and secular stuff. And, you know, our jobs and our hobbies, our friendships, our families, uh, we place these into the not God category. 
And then we take our church attendance, small group, Bible study, prayer, put them in the God category. And we wonder, you know, why we don't experience more of God. The reason is because we've been taught to invite God into our everything, every part of our lives, not leaving any part out. You know, Jesus wants more from his relationship with us. He wants more of us with him. And the gift of Ken's book is it encourages us and teaches us how to experience more of God in our lives by developing very practical, daily, realistic, daily, weekly, monthly, annual rhythms that bust out the categories of God and not God and open the door for us to experience God in every part of our lives. Now, one of the, one of the, the monks from a very long time ago, my brother Lawrence, you've probably heard of him, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, and he talked about how he, he learned to cultivate the presence of, of Jesus as he was doing dishes in the monastery. You know, who, who here does dishes? Come on, I, I hope that most people do. Who here relies on your spouse to do all the dishes? No. Oh, nice. There's a couple of you. We'll pray for you. Uh, we'll pray for your spouse. Dishes are never ending. What if you could encounter the presence of Jesus when you did the dishes? Like Brother Lawrence, you know, what if you could encounter the presence of Jesus as you sit watching your kids' soccer practice? What if you could encounter the presence of Jesus in your in your workplace, in your parenting, in your friendships. This is what Jesus wants from us. This whole, bust, this whole idea of sacred and secular and God and not God, he wants those categories to bust and for us to find God in our everything. So, Ken talks, Ken talks about people like Daniel in the Bible. He talks about people like Esther. He talks, and again, I mentioned Jesus earlier. Someone, someone says he's one of our examples as well. Um, but he, he highlights this idea that these spiritual people, men and women, had a plan for their relationship with God, they had, and they sought after God hard, and they busted the categories. Um, they, they ended up finding God in their everything. If you look at Daniel, which is what Ken highlights, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's army conquers Daniel's homeland, and Daniel is the, 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 the people that seem brightest and best in Daniel's people are taken cap- captive in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And they are, their culture is ripped from them completely. Um, Daniel knew that he'd never be going back to his homeland, ever. He lost friends, he lost family, he lost his language, he even lost his name, was given a new Babylonian name. And he was cut off permanently, not just temporarily. It's hard to even imagine what that would be like, to have everything just completely taken away and there's no, there's no going home. You have to learn a new way underneath the power of a dictator who said it was, not, it was a law that you couldn't even pray to, to God to only venerate the leader. You know, Daniel was a part of this group of people that were de- deported and uh, if you will he was, one of the, he was like one of the only followers of God that he knew. Um, completely immersed in a different kind of study than he'd done. You know, in, in, with his people, he'd been immersed in God, God and his everything. He was taken to Babylon, and there was God in nothing, if you will. Um, he's, he's immersed in studying the world from a completely, from a point of view that there is no God, and uh, learned, he was taught in all these different ways. And Daniel's immersed in just, you know, the pagan view, the non-God view of everything under the sun. You know, history, literature, Philosophy, magic, religion, um, and again, was told to obey the law that you could not pray to anyone 
but practically only worshipped the, the emperor of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So, in, a, it, it's, it's, in other words, it's, it's a very secular, there is no God in it, and God is being pushed out of it kind of society that Daniel's in. And I think that some people feel that that is true today of the world. Some people feel that they're the only Christian in their family. Some of you feel that way. Maybe that's even true. Some of you have the, you're the only Christian in your workplace. You're the only Christian that you know of in your, uh, in your sports team. Um, so it's, it's not unlike the world. So what does Daniel do when he gets in exile? Well, he invests in his relationship with God. And he didn't consider that to be automatic, but like Jesus and many saints before, before us, he had this unshakable rhythm of life that kept God in every part of his life. In fact, you know, Daniel was such a different person. There was a different spirit in him. People around him uh, gave him, in this society that does not believe in God, they gave him this amazing compliment saying, this is one in whom is the spirit of the gods. They didn't have a category for it, but there's something different about this guy. You know, Daniel um, is thriving in exile, you know, by himself, in captivity, in a hopeless situation, because he had a substantial relationship with the living God. He brought God into his life. Even when it was against the law in Daniel 6.10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to the upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, his homeland, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Unshakable rhythm of relationship with God. And as Daniel cultivated this, this prayer to God, this three times a day prayer, people began to see him as someone that had a reputation as these, this, this person seems to have the spirit of the gods. Just like when Jesus' disciples, um, after Jesus was crucified, the, the guard said, took note of these men because they, they'd been with Jesus. There's something different about these people. So in a strange land, he had a different spirit. He had a habit of prayer. It, tra- it transformed him. He was able to thrive in his relationship with God despite a culture and a land around him that did not believe in God. It's, it's an incredible story that we should look at more closely. I'm not going to get into all of that today. But you know, could it be that us Christians who live in a culture that largely does not worship God could thrive in our day as well, in our place? I think the answer is yes. And I think the answer is in busting the categories of God and not God and finding God in our, in our everything through, through developing practical, simple, doable practices of life where we can draw near to God and receive from him. I have, you know, for, for myself over the past year, I've developed a simple group of practices in my life to draw near to God, and I have a deeper life with him than I did a year ago. You know, I haven't done it perfectly or even, you know, perfectly consistently, but I've found a fountain of living water for myself. The image that Ken uses and that, that I've been thinking of over this past year is the idea of a trellis. And this is the John 15, I am the, I am the gardener, you are the branches, I am the vine. And this is uh, a trellis that a, a grapevine could grow up. You remember, Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me. A branch can't bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So that begs the question, you know, how do we abide in Christ? How do we... Um, if it is God who's doing this transforming work in our lives, how do we learn to abide in God so we will bear fruit for him, like Daniel did in a, in a culture that does not believe in him? 
And the answer is that, according to John 15, we need to get into the sunlight. Um, that's where the idea of this trellis comes in. You know, people who grow grapes use the trellis to support the heavy grapevines so that uh, there can be maximum sunlight achieved on those grapes and they can grow healthy and well. That's what a trellis is for, to, to support the grapes, to make sure the sun hits all the different parts of the grapes and that no part of the fruit is missed. And when they, there's a trellis to carry the weight of the grapes, that they can, they can bear much, much fruit. So the trellis image is, is meant to serve for, for us as an image of our life with God. What practices can we develop that will support our life with God, right? How do we make our, get our lives into his sunlight so that he can transform us as we bust through these categories? What are the practices that support us and get us in the maximum sunshine of God? So, you know, what has my trellis looked like this year as I've thought about this idea? Well, uh, one is meditation on scripture. So if, if you look at, look at these beams, this big one here could be meditation on scripture. Now I have an app on my phone that leads me to rest in scripture before God. It plays a song. It reads scripture over me. It gives me a chance to contemplate on it and think about it. It's just a few minutes on this app. And that has drawn me near to God and given me and, and spoken to me every day and supported my, my relationship with God. You know, I've learned this past year to sit in silence before God, which I know is impossible, everyone says, to really get silent, but just, five, just to have a five-minute timer on my phone to, to still my mind and focus on be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And it, it, it's transformed me, stillness and silence before God. You know, Meditating on God's presence every day. You know, one of, the, one of the, the parts of my trellis that I've developed this year is a custom one that's really just, was just really just for me. Um, but I, I developed a practice um, where, you know, I, I was having this issue where I know that God is the God of all comfort. I know that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, but I was having a hard time accessing the comfort of God. And so I developed a practice where I thought about what scriptural image of God is most comforting to me. And I thought about the, the father who's, who's on the porch looking for his son to come home. I thought about the good shepherd. I took these scriptural images and I started coming before God, doing a spiritual practice where I say, God, I believe you're the comforter. I believe that I have access to your comfort through my relationship with Jesus. Um, and then I ask God to impress upon me the reality that he is a comforter and to let his Holy Spirit teach me how to be comforted by him. And he did that. He broke down walls for me. Uh, one of the parts of our trellis has been starting out keeping a Sabbath together, which, is, which we haven't done every week, but we've, we, we said we're going to do it once a month and we're going to add, add to it and try to do it more and more. To give ourselves an opportunity to work from rest rather than to rest from work. Um, to, to work from a place of rest rather than becoming exhausted and then resting afterwards. So starting a Sabbath. And some of you, I know, have really been successful in, in your Sabbath. We want to hear from you. Um, I, I started a practice of reading scripture in community with my app on my phone with a few brothers and sisters. Um, we pray every Wednesday morning in community. Uh, these are all parts of the trellis. And these are things that have supported my relationship with God and allowed my life to receive maximum sunshine. Because when you meditate on the Word, when you're still before God, when you're praying, when you're in community, um, you know, when you're doing other practices to help you to take in the truth 
of who Jesus is for you. It, it just is transformative. Now, these are not, it sounds like, sometimes in these talks, it sounds like um, just one more thing to add to the pile of things that we need to do. But, um, but this is abiding in Christ. This is, this is God's work. All we're doing is positioning ourselves through these practices to receive from Jesus. That's all we're doing. And putting ourselves in a good position to grow. So in October, you know, our small groups are going to launch. We're going to talk about how to cultivate this life with God together using this book. Um, we're going to learn about Jesus and about Daniel and Esther and others. And we're going to learn, you know, and discuss realistic ways to practice Sabbath, to practice prayer, to practice being in the Word, to practice fun and rest, um, to, to look at our, our finances, our sexuality, our friendships, to allow God to bust those categories of God and not God, sacred and secular, and become, you know, our, in every part of our life, every single part of it. And I don't think it's going to be burdensome. I think it's going to be very liberating for us. So having had this past year to scope out the trail ahead, I can just say to you, you know, if you invest and find the practices that draw you into the sunlight of God, it will change your life. And that's what we're going to be doing together, learning, practicing, experimenting, failing, trying again, hearing from one another. All we need to do is get into God's light and uh, if, we, if we do that, God will allow us to bear fruit you know, that we could have not even imagined bearing otherwise. So we're going to take a, a little bit of time now to prayerfully, I invite you to walk around and look at these ministry tables. These are ways to plug in to the body of Christ. Uh, there's a small group table where you can talk about your interests to lead a small group or be a part of a small group, worship ministry. All the different ministries of the church are on these tables, and the leaders of those ministries are going to be getting up and going to those tables it's just a time to ask questions, to connect. And then we're going to come together for more worship, and then we're going to have a meal together. So I invite you to be dismissed to look at the tables. We'll come back together in a couple minutes and continue uh, focusing on Jesus today.